Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. How's it going? Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, ideas, and companies shaping the future of agribusiness. Episode today is really exciting for me. Uh, We're going to go back to actually the place where it all started for me. I was born and raised in Sonoma County, California, which is uh, north of the Bay Area, about 45 miles north of San Francisco. Uh, I now live in Austin, Texas, and I've moved around the Midwest quite a bit in my agricultural adventures, but uh, it's always nice to kind of take a trip back uh, to a place where I still consider, in a lot of ways, home, uh, where my parents still live, where I was recently, if you've listened to this podcast, you know. Uh, and while I was out in California, I came across a very interesting company that we're going to get to highlight today. Pasture Map tackles the problem of farmers and ranchers that are grazing animals uh, out on pastures. And it allows for a platform uh, for those farmers and ranchers to collect data based on uh, the different paddocks or areas that are being grazed and uh, also in order to build on that data for decision-making tools in the future. So really an interesting concept. If you'll remember episode 44, we had Russ Conser of Standard Soil, uh, who is really a a leader and advocate for uh, grass-fed beef as well as grass-fed other animal products, and I just find it to be a a really, really interesting niche in agriculture. And of course, uh, every niche that uh, is as complex as as grazing and and looking at the ecology of the grasses and the biology of the animals and the business aspects of actually getting the job done is so dynamic, it does deserve uh, a software that that can help uh, help the process. So really, really interested to bring on Christine Sue, who's one of the co-founders and the CEO of Pasture Map. Uh, definitely invite you to check them out, and you're going to sure want to after this interview. Uh, also, as you know, I've been on this kick where I'm absolutely dedicated to bringing not only uh, interesting ag entrepreneurs, bringing new ideas into the marketplace, but also the farmers and ranchers that they serve. I want to really look at where kind of the clouds meets the dirt, if you will, to use a Gary Vaynerchuk analogy. It's where our ideas about what the future could look like meets the people actually doing the work and putting it in into practice to see not only is this interesting, is this a cool idea, but is it real? Is it practical? Can we use that? So we have on the show also Byron Palmer. Uh, Byron Palmer is a uh, cattle grazer and livestock rancher in uh, my original home county of Sonoma County, California. So that's where that kind of comes into play as well. So I really enjoyed this uh, interview. Uh, I think Obviously, Christine is brilliant, and she's got a lot of fantastic ideas to serve uh, not only the rotational grazers, like we talked to Russ about, as well as Byron, uh, but uh, very traditional ranchers as well. So if you have any interest in ag tech, in cattle, or in the future of agriculture, I think you're going to love this episode. So enjoy. Enjoy. 
Very excited to have on the show today. We've got Christine Sue, who's the co-founder and CEO of Pasture Map. Welcome, Christine. Thanks. Glad to be here. And we have Byron Palmer, who is one of the founders of Grounded Grasslands. Thanks, Byron, for being on the show. Thank you. Happy and I, to be here. Yeah, I, I met you both a couple, well, maybe about a month ago now at uh, the Food IT event in California and was really excited to, to get you on the show for a number of different reasons. First of all, for those of you listening, uh, if you haven't listened to uh, our episode 44 with Russ Conser from Standard Soil, uh, who's talking about adaptive uh, multi-paddock grazing systems, definitely would be good to get a background in that because we're going to dive a little bit deeper. I think it's a, it's a fascinating topic and we're going to also bring in the element of ag tech with pasture map. So, uh, Christine, let's let's start with you. You are uh, one of the founders and now CEO of pasture map. So if you could maybe just by start uh, giving us the sort of the elevator pitch or, or the, the the rundown on what exactly is pasture map? Sure. So glad you mentioned Russ Conser. He's a good friend of ours. And pasture map was uh, founded to make grazing managers better and more confident in grazing management. So it's a ranch management software that keeps track of grazing records and has won quite a bit of popularity among the serious grazing contingent who practice adaptive multi-paddock grazing because instead of using large sheets of paper uh, or the notebook in your pocket, um, now you can do all of your grazing records in your pocket, um, keep track of what you've done in various pastures uh, and use that data to make better decisions. And Christine, what, what's your background? How did you arrive? Are, are you from a, uh, a a family of shepherds that that has grazed <laughs> livestock, or how did you how did you come about this concept? No, although I have followed a lot of shepherds around in my day. Uh, so, my background: I'm from California. Uh, grew up with a lifetime struggle with food allergies, uh, which is how I uh, found my local farmers and ranchers to begin with. So, I come from the perspective of a grateful consumer uh, who relies on my local farmers and ranchers to feed me without breaking out in hives. Uh, And my background after that was went to uh, work in business, worked for McKinsey, which is a management consulting firm, and then for private equity um, business, so in finance, um, building software that helped factories get more profitable. Um, And while I really enjoy being an operations geek uh, and using metrics to help individual businesses get more profitable, I really wanted to reconnect what I was doing with the landscapes and the food system that I, uh, that I eat from. So uh, I went back to school, got an MBA at Stanford and an earth systems degree in land use and agriculture. And uh, it, before doing that, I went and worked on a 60 cow dairy as a, as a farmhand. So uh, that dairy actually practiced uh, a form of rotational grazing. So that was my first foray in the food system was with a fairly progressive grazer. And since then, I've worked on farms and ranches in four different continents and followed them around. Actually, funny you mentioned shepherds because I did follow high country shepherds in New Zealand uh, for a summer in South Island of New Zealand. And just looking at the different ways and contexts in which different grazers manage their landscapes was super fascinating to me. And I kept coming back over and over again to these big maps on the barn wall and uh, large grazing charts. And uh, it, it boggles my mind not coming from the space that, that that level of complexity of the landscape is managed on pen and paper. And so I thought with my background, there has to be a better way to do this. Um, so 
uh, as part of my capstone project in my land use and agriculture degree, I uh, built a first prototype of pasture map, which was literally just taking your smartphone out in the field and being able to draw pastures and subdivide them and take photos of the grass as it recovers so that the producer can check up on what they did last time and make a better decision in the field on that pasture with data. And when you say check up on it and the data, what generally, what pieces of information was that initial app? What was that capturing for the farmer? It was capturing where where you were. Um, you can see a satellite map of your pastures on Pasture Map on the phone. Uh, you can subdivide your pastures into um, however you strip graze or, or want to divide up into your paddocks. Um, you can capture photos of what the grass looked like pre and post grazing. Um, and that was the initial prototype. And since then, uh, we have added a, a lot more of the grazing uh, management principles into it. So we can auto-calculate recovery days. So you can see how long it's been resting since you last move a herd through, as well as what the stocking density and how many herds you, how many animal units you moved through last time. Uh, and then cumulatively, we now do some grazing math to help you figure out what the stocking rate per acre um, you've gotten across your land so that you can benchmark the productivity of different pastures. Very cool. So so when, when was that then that you uh, first released the app while you were in graduate school or as your graduate school project? That was in 2014 and 2015. And we prototyped with uh, ranchers around California as well as uh, in the Midwest. And then we just launched last year, so June of 2016. And we are in the middle of our second grazing season in the market. And tell us about the kind of the stage the company's in now. Have you focused on kind of a uh, like a like a beta rollout with local producers or uh, what stage is the company in now? Sure. The, the company is fully launched now. Uh, we have about 7,000 ranchers using Pasture Map in 36 countries, which is, is still it's a big number when I look at it on the computer screen. Uh, but uh, we still I talk to ranchers daily. Uh, about the issues they're having with the app, what they would like uh, to see um, what see in future uh, beta releases. So we, what we do is uh, an iterative process of launching live um, live modules and then beta testing future prototypes. Like for example, uh, one of our producers in Hawaii wants us to build uh, a module that helps him track animal lifetime weight gains, and then even integrating the data back from the slaughterhouse so that he can see what the average daily gains are um, in all of his different, in the herds. Uh, another request that we frequently get is to create a dynamic grazing chart so that they can kind of mirror that grazing chart that many of them are used to using, but then plan out scenarios with it. So both of those are in beta. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, yeah, you started with just this ability to map these paddocks or kind of grazing pens and uh, help the farmer or rancher predict when to rotate and and kind of when that paddock was ready to be grazed again. And now you are incorporating all these features that get closer and closer to the consumer, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the biggest uh one of the biggest parts of our mission as a company, our mission is to help ranchers make more profits building healthy grasslands, is optimizing your pastures is only half of the equation, right? The other half is we need to help ranchers make more revenue for landscapes that are well-managed. So uh, there are two large initiatives that I'm focusing on this year. One is 
soil carbon data. So the, this space is getting a lot of interest, um, even from the casual consumer now who is a little bit more conversant about soil health. And um, farmers and ranchers know this because many of them have been working for decades on improving soil health. But for the first time, now we have data sets where we're able to integrate soil metrics along with your management practices. So we are working uh, on a, we just received a California USDA grant to integrate soil health metrics with pasture map management data so you can see which ones of your management practices are driving soil health in your landscape context. Um, so that's very exciting. The, ne the second initiative is, okay, well, let's get this data out to consumers. Obviously, obviously that has to be opt-in from ranchers who want to share that information, but let's get you rewarded for for tackling regenerative practices and doing the hard work of building healthy ecosystems. Uh, I don't think that producers uh, often get the credit that they deserve for stewarding their landscapes, and it's high time that that, that gets credit um, from, and helps them decouple from, from the commodity pricing fluctuations that they often face. I think probably a lot of uh, nodding heads to that one. Yeah, definitely uh, more credit is due to, to, to most farmers and ranchers for the stewardship that they um, that they impart on the land. Now, uh, we have one of those 7,000 users on the line here in uh, Byron Palmer. Byron, thank you so much for being on the show as well. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, and it, it, it feels special to be one out of 7,000. Sure, and uh, Byron is, uh, most people listening can appreciate this, anybody from an ag background, Byron has said that he is uh, perched on top of a wood pile, trying to be as tall as he can so that he doesn't lose service here during this call. Uh, Byron, a lot of people who, who have never grazed animals might think, you know, all you do is let them go eat the grass like they have in nature. So how hard could it be? And what would you possibly need a data management platform in order to do that? Can, can you uh, help people understand that aspect? You can just turn animals out and let them loose. And uh, that is definitely a approach. Um, I can say that where I live in Sonoma County, if you do that, uh, Sonoma County, California, if you do that, it's probably going to be hard to, to make a return. Because if you just turn your animals out, and let's say you have one paddock, your carrying capacity is probably going to be limited due to the um, possible overgrazing that those animals are going to inflict on the landscape. And if you do some adaptive management grazing, essentially what you have is the opportunity to increase not only your income, but the production on the landscape and an increase in biodiversity and other sort of indicators of health across the landscape. So. You know, there's there's many ways to skin a cat, uh, and I choose to you know participate in one that's a little bit more complicated, but has a little bit more upside uh, on the back end. And tell tell us more about your business, about gra grounded grasslands. What what do you all do, and how does it work for you as a producer? Yeah, so I work with both a nonprofit called Sonoma Mountain Institute uh, that does ecological management on the landscape and takes care of uh, cattle for cattle owners. And then additionally, I have a for-profit business that uh, does similar things and also has a direct marketing aspect. But if you just kind of look at them as a whole, uh, basically we're primarily business to business uh, in our orientation to taking care of livestock. So cattle owners, specifically organic cattle owners that supply to companies like Whole Foods, um, and we also take care of shortbread and open dairy heifers for local dairy guys that supply to companies like Clover or Strauss um, or Horizon or Wallaby Organics. 
and they send us their animals and it's kind of like cattle boot camp, right? They give them to us for a season. Um, we take care of them and we send them back fat and happy, uh, well fed. And on that end we get, you know, paid much like a, much like a happy boot camp would get paid, uh, for taking care of folks. And then on the other end, we are a land management service. So, people that buy land that have basically had what, you know, you sort of described in the beginning where they turn animals out, uh, onto the landscape. Uh, these owners typically buy these places and they've, they come with sort of grazers that have been there. And a lot of the time they might just turn the animals out and the results are something that the owners don't want, uh, in terms of the ecological results that they're seeing across the landscape might be a little bit over grazing or, there might be other social dynamics at play. And so they usually contact us and say, Hey, we, we'd love for you to come in and uh, manage this place in a different way, doing some of that adaptive management grazing, because we have certain ecological values and aesthetic values that haven't been met. And so we kind of have sort of two ends to the business. One is services for livestock. And then the other is services for the land base. Yeah, I was blown away uh, learning from from Russ in that earlier episode about just the ecological impacts of, first of all, doing it wrong and the ecological benefits of doing it right. And and that spectrum is just so wide. And, you know, his famous thing is it's not the cow, it's the how, right? Or I don't know if that's his famous thing. Maybe he, he stole that from someone else in the community. But uh, I, I just think that that part of uh, this adaptive multi-paddock grazing and, and w- the approach to grazing is just really, really fascinating. So so now back to Pasture Map. How did you first uh, learn about Pasture Map? You know, the, the sort of adaptive management grazing world isn't that big. And I believe I first heard about pasture map through an email of a friend of a friend, I think when Christine had a, had it in beta stage back when she was in school. And so I think that was when it, when it first came across my desk. And then I believe she gave me a phone call at some point when she was doing some due diligence for sort of product development. And that was years ago. And, uh, and then from there, I kind of just followed their development um, as they, as they grew and then eventually reached out to them and asked if I could, you know, be involved with the product and, um, and sort of have a two way relationship with them as, as they roll it out because it, uh, I was, you know, I was pretty excited about it. I, the same thing that Christine was saying, you know, I'm standing there with the giant, you know, five foot wide grazing chart the whole time, like needing it, but also cursing that someone hasn't developed this in a digital format. And, uh, so when she showed up on the scene and, and was putting in a lot of, you know, effort to make that happen, I was pretty grateful and excited to be part of the project. And the, the pain point along with that, I mean, is it carrying around the chart? Is it just the fact that it's, uh, you know, you spill coffee on it and you can't, you can't see what you wrote. What, what exactly is kind of the discomfort associated with the old way? Yes. You, you can't keep your records with you in the field, right? So for instance, if I'm, if I'm in the field, let's say I'm on one of our ranches and I'm looking out at one of the pastures and I'm trying to figure out how long have we been here? Uh, if, if I didn't check the office before I left, then I wouldn't have a good feeling for that. Or let's say we're doing animal math and, you know, I might have anywhere from three to four herds throughout the year. And I need to know how many animals that I have in this specific herd on this specific ranch because we have seven different ranches we manage. I don't always keep that in my head. And so if I'm in the field doing a count, unless I have those numbers available, it's, it's going to be challenging. So I think the pain point is specific to just not having the tools when you need them, not having the uh, information when you need it. And then I guess the other part is kind of like, let's say you did a complicated business analysis, enterprise analysis on paper, Tim, and 
then you tried to manipulate the data. It's hard to manipulate the data when it's on paper versus in an Excel spreadsheet. I mean, can you imagine doing any sort of like robust financial calculation and not putting it into a spreadsheet that you could tally and manipulate and work with, right? And so I think that's the other sort of equivalent pain point is that you there's there's a severe limitations to what the future of the analyzed value of the data can be. And so I think that's probably another specific pain point. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. So it's it's not only the fact that you can transfer something to, from a paper to uh, to the the software, but also what can you do to build onto the data that you are inherently putting into the software itself for all, to solve all sorts of problems. Um, so that makes sense. Have, you know, incorporating any new technology, especially on a farm or ranch, is is difficult. What what sort of challenges did you have when kind of converting over to the system? And uh, also, I'm curious about any features that you'd love to see added in the future. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I mean, I think in the beginning, you know, as, as Christine mentioned, it was a grazing records, uh, application. So it was looking in the rear view sort of focused and, you know, now they've been doing a lot of work over the last year to have it also be a planning methodology or a a planning tool as well. And, uh, and that's been great to watch those features be added. So I think, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges in the beginning was just that, if you wanted to also plan, you had to have that program. You had to have pasture map plus whatever, whatever other planning features you were using, though that's not necessarily the case anymore. Um, if people are interested in using it, there are planning functions, which you know definitely make it easier. And then I think that the other, the other challenge was probably in the beginning just um, figuring out how to use the user interfaces um, you know, out in space, uh, and they've been refining them and making them easier. And there's just so much work that goes into any of these things, right? And I realize it's kind of obvious, but I think so much of us, the software that we use any given day has ginormous budgets and gajillions of people that work on it. And that then sets the expectation of what we're used to using. And so I think, you know, folks that actually do have limited resources or um, people or money at their disposal, it's just, it, it takes a little bit longer to get all those user interface things that we take for granted as just passive consumers of software for granted. So, um, so I think just getting used to some of the, the like click throughs and user interface and, and things like that in the beginning, those, those two are probably the biggest, uh, the biggest initial challenges. Byron, which, what types of features would you like to see included in it that would help your operation? You know, I think moving forward, having sort of a native feature. So sometimes, unless you sort of preload your map in some of the data, um, if you're in an area that doesn't have decent service, you sometimes don't have access to all the information when you're in the field. And that really varies. I know there's a lot of users that don't have any problems with that. I, I live in some pretty aggressive and ugly terrain, which makes for sort of limited connectivity. So I think, you know, a more native uh, map preloaded app function would be good. And then I, I've been sort of interacting with Christine and her team on the, on the planning function. And I think having that be a little bit more robust, um, which they're doing actively right now is I'm, you know, anticipating that feature uh, sort of with bated breath. And um, I'm, I think those two are probably the biggest features. I think long-term having, having benchmarks included uh, just like any, any business, any operation needs benchmarks to compare to. So I think this is probably something I could wait for, but long-term would like to see our economic or environmental benchmarking, you know, specific to your zip code or area or whatnot, um, that could help you evaluate 
your ecological and economic performance across your peer group. Uh, but you know, I could, I could probably wait for that for a little bit, but I think someday it'd be, it'd be sweet to see. Christine, any of that stuff uh, on the pipeline currently or, or what in general do you see as kind of the future of pasture map? Totally. Yeah. I, Byron, Byron gives us lots of feedback, so I knew what he's going to say. <laughs> um, we, we are actively working right now on the full 100% offline mapping part of it because, Tim, as you know, a lot of ag producers are in areas with spotty reception. So pasture map does work offline. The problem is if you're like in a black zone where you never get cell reception, then it becomes really difficult for the app to sync. And it also, if you go drive out three hours and, and you don't have any reception there, then it's hard for the phone to get a satellite map. So this quarter we are building in um, a different mapping provider where you can preload all of the maps into the phone where you can go fully offline. And even if they can't um, find cell service for a satellite map, then there will be a topography based map um, so that you'll always know where you are. Um, and then the other feature that on planning, that is something that we're really excited about. And, and it's something that we have a, a lot of respect for the tradition of, of planned grazing, which people have been practicing for 30 to 40 years. Uh, and so that this is, there, there is an emotional component as well to producers who have been doing some, something a certain way. And, and with technology, we don't want to have the hubris of coming in and saying, hey, we can replace all of it right away. So uh, we're actually following um, adaptive planned grazing methodology very closely in building the grazing chart part um, and rolling that out. Uh, we're rolling that out feature by feature rather than dumping something completely new on our user base. That's great. And it seems, Christine, you're pretty focused on these uh, these rotational grazers uh, kind of doing this commercially. Are there other users of the product? Or are they pretty yes. much mostly like Byron? That's a great question. Actually, we... we <laughs> We originally thought that we were going to have uh, only hardcore, you know, grass farmers uh, on our platform, but actually uh, of our most active users, about 40% of them are conventional commercial uh, ranchers um, who are maybe stalker operations um, in the middle of the country and, uh, and some cow calves as well. Uh, they would not, I don't think they would self-identify as um, avant-garde or uh, they, they wouldn't identify as, as grass farmers or, or grazers even. They would identify as, as commercial ranchers. Um, and what we found is that even if you are not, even if you haven't drank all the Kool-Aid on um, grass management, pasture wrap saves you a lot of time just because typically the larger these ranches get, the more staff you have, the more staff you have, the less you know what everybody's doing and then you've got a bunch of staff running around uh, moving cows and you're not, as the manager, you're not the one who's necessarily out there making sure that the fence got fixed or a gate got closed or the water trough got filled. And so um, one of the first features we built in planning is just assigning moves to people and then having everybody be able to see on their phone where they're supposed to go move. Um, and even when they bring in uh, temp staff off on doing irrigation or or repairs, just having be somebody be able to be on the same page on where on the ranch they're supposed to go is a big value add in terms of just time savings and 
what we know is that everybody who's an agricultural producer is time poor, right? So that's that's been a big lesson learned from our first season is that a lot of people are just using us to save on daily tasks. Really interesting. So the path from going from 7,000 users to 70,000 users, uh, kind of what does that look like for you and, and uh, what, what gets you excited to continue to work on this project? I'm just excited to get up every day and work with agricultural producers. They, they, they are the best people. Um, anything that helps with this, with training the next generation as well, because this is on everyone's mind uh, on what, what succession looks like, what the next generation looks like. Uh, we're currently uh, working with a few universities. So the path to, to helping sons and daughters who are inheriting or maybe don't inherit but want to get into the ag space um, be comfortable with technology that can help them uh, scale their own skills is very valuable because I think the future of ag is going to have to be something that where where human creativity and human knowledge is at the center of it. I don't I think that Silicon Valley where I sit often misses that part. They they think they can automate everything and I would say you haven't talked to a farmer or a rancher. You can't automate most of that creativity and that knowledge of what their the ingenuity that comes with running an operation. But what you can do is save them time with technologies that help them make their day a little easier and make help make them managing their team a little bit easier. What you just said there, Christine, is, is so important and, and really the reason why we are trying to have this format here where we can bring on, you know, somebody from the the ag tech side as well as a producer both to, to talk about uh, similar topics is, you know, the practicality of, you know, an idea when it when it meets an actual user, a farmer or rancher. I have a, I have a question for you that's it's a bit of a curveball. So I apologize in advance, but uh, it's 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 kind of a, a selfish question being a recruiter. You are uh, you have a Stanford MBA. You uh, have a background in consulting and a background in private equity, and you're interested in working with producers. How do we attract more people like you to this industry? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I'm having the time of my life. I think I'm. Ha this is my dream job. I think this, the space where you have the potential, or I have the potential, to bring something different to the industry. But also, producers have welcomed me. Um, so I, I guess speaking to an agribusiness audience, um, what was really impactful for me in grad school, coming into the space, there was a lot of intimidation involved. Like I felt intimidated coming into. I think it was Columbia, Missouri, and it was a it was a grazing conference. Um, and that first experience was actually going to make or break whether I decided to to pursue agriculture further. And everyone I met at that conference, every producer was super welcoming, was delighted to to find somebody new and different uh, in the space, and and offered up their time to give me advice. And I'm sure this is this is not. Uh, uncommon, right? The older producers often give a lot of, dedicate their time to coaching and mentoring younger people in the industry. But I would encourage everyone to keep doing that because um, it was that community attitude uh, of welcoming and sharing knowledge and uh, being just glad that I was there to learn that uh, made me more and more attracted to the space. That's awesome. No, I, I think it's fantastic. And I uh, I am always trying to think through how can we get more smart, talented people that really, really care you know, about the industry? Because like you alluded to earlier, everyone has ideas for how agriculture can be 
automated and easier, uh, but very few people want to put in the time to to uh, to execute on the idea. So I really commend you, Christine. Now, now Byron, you are you're kind of living my dream here, right? You are. You're living in the county I came from uh, that I grew up in that I convinced myself I could never afford to live in and kind of live in the agriculture dream. So uh, first of all, I, w- I would love to hear kind of how you ended up in Sonoma County and um, and how you came into to the business of, of uh, grazing cattle. Yes, sir. Yeah, living the dream. <laughs> So those are two different, two different things, but related, I think, how did I come into the business of grazing cattle? I, you know, graduated from school with a degree in business, but at the same time I was concerned about the environment and uh, sort of the direction it was taking long-term. And I wanted to find the best way to leverage change. And funnily enough, I stumbled on grazing as a tool for regenerating the landscape. If I was a vegetarian and the sort of standard environmental rhetoric that cattle are bad and they uh, cause all these terrible impacts was part of my normal life. And then as I started learning more and more about agriculture and taking classes and courses and getting steeped in it, I realized that cattle are a tool. They're like a bulldozer. And, uh, you know, you can do a lot of damage with a bulldozer, but you can do a lot of amazing things with a bulldozer and a little bit of diesel as well. So I decided after school that I wanted to get into the business of regenerating uh, the landscape using cattle and basically just started calling ranches uh, and trying to find places I could intern or work or get hired on as a farmhand. And I got a lot of no's. Uh, probably 35 or more in the beginning. And eventually, eventually one of them uh, landed with a yes. And that just led into other yeses. And then I found myself managing, you know, large CS, like a large CSA that had over a thousand members feeding pork, beef, chicken, and eggs to members across the Bay area. And it just kind of grew from there. Um, And, you know, obviously North of San Francisco, Sonoma County, I mean, this is an ag County uh, and, but it's also a relatively progressive ag county in that you know, 80% of the cattle in this county are dairy and, and of those probably 80% are organic. So a lot of the producers in this area are organic. Uh, so that, that kind of shapes the types of experiences that you're going to have up here and the opportunities. And then I think in terms of just being up here, Tim, uh, you know, my wife's from uh, Point Reyes Station, and uh, I'm I'm from the Bay Area as well, and our family and friends are here. So, kind of one of those things where, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out how to make it work in this environment, which you know, for what we do, there's definitely some competitive advantage to be in this area. We're off season, you know, we've got a growing season when everybody else is shut down, but. But in terms of land base and access to land, it's actually much more challenging because the ranches are like ranchettes around here. You know, a big ranch is 500 acres and 500 acres is, isn't a shipping pasture in Montana. So uh, so there's definitely some challenges unique unique to this that you uh, that you have to overcome. Right. And that brings up an interesting point, Christine. I want to ask you, uh, he just mentioned, you know, he's off season. And then uh, because the grazing in Sonoma County, I would guess, would happen from fall through spring rather than spring through fall. I remember, I, I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. But anyway, does that help you uh, iterate a little bit? I mean, versus other tech companies that get kind of one growing season, uh, you know, corn is grown in the summer. I guess you can go South America, but uh, it's a little bit different. Did that help you uh, with product development? It definitely does. Yeah. We get to practice something in California and then we deploy it in the Midwest 
And then New Zealand is kind of off cycle also, and we have a, a base of users there. Um, so we are constantly <laughs> launching things and getting uh, feedback on prototypes throughout the year. Uh, oh. Christmas is Thanksgiving and Christmas is pretty quiet for everyone. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Pretty quiet in the recruitment business too, I'll tell you. Um, and by running, I wanted to I asked Christine about kind of her vision of the future. How about you? Uh, as you look to the future of agriculture, uh, what types of things stick out that you think will be different in uh, the coming decades than they are today? Yeah, looking through the crystal ball. Uh, I think, you know, Christine hit the nail on the head that I think there's a certain amount of experience and intuition and creativity that is always going to be essential to uh to performing agricultural activities on the landscape. Uh, but I think we're going to kind of see two divergent paths. I think we're going to see one that's more and more automation using sensor technology, obviously uh, mechanization, auto, not mechanization, but automation, and then analysis through, um, through artificial intelligence to sort of come up with new ideas and new patterns for management. And I think that's going to be one path. And a lot of the careers there, I think, are going to be the data scientists, the people that are creating the entire system end to end from data to automation to uh, artificial intelligence. And that a lot of that space, and you're probably going to see it in row crop agriculture, I, it's already taking place, but I think it's just going to happen more and more is going to be about people figuring out what to tell a lot of the automation to do. And I think there's going to be a lot of careers moving in that direction. But for every uh, trend, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so I think we're going to see even more small farmers, uh, small-scale farmers doing vegetables and animals that are possibly using tools like pasture map. Uh, and other tools to give them information and save time in their day, but not moving towards automating some of uh, the things for them that are the most important. And so I, I kind of feel like the fisher's probably going to grow pretty wide between those two paths, but that is just a guess. Very cool. So w robotic uh, sheep herding dogs, you think, or no? <laughs> I, I think so. I think so. But I got to tell you, me and my business partners, we all have dogs and we use them. And, and we think that the best opportunity for us for an add-on enterprise is to show up when the satellites go down with real dogs and just charge out the hoo-ha for that service. Because when the satellites go down and the cows are on the 101 North, you know, and people forget how to actually interact with the animals, the folks with uh, the folks with some dogs and a little bit of know-how are going to have some opportunities to clean up. There you go. I love it. So Byron, how can uh, somebody who's listening that wants to learn more about your operation, how could they find you online? Yeah, well, for the business to business element, you know, they can find us at Sonoma Mountain Institute uh, org. They can find us at um, groundedgrasslands.com. And then if they're interested in uh, beef that's super tasty and a good value, they can find us at groundedgrassfed.com. So you know, one of three ways. I'm sure everyone on your podcast is going to look at all three because uh, they have nothing else to do. Well, if they don't remember, it will be in the show notes. So thank you, Byron, for being on the show. And, <laughs> and, and Christine, uh, pasturemap.com. How else can someone find you online? That's right. www.pasturemap.com. That's it. We, we only have the bandwidth to run one business right now. <laughs> Maybe Byron can consult you on how to do that. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. this has been a lot of fun and, and it's going to be a very, very interesting show. So I appreciate it. 
a lot of fun talking to those two and expecting really big things out of Pastor Map. I think it's going to help solve uh, a lot of real problems for uh, people who have grazing animals. And so hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And uh, if you did, I would love to make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast, either on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can have this every week waiting for you on your phone. Uh, also, if uh, you enjoyed it, would love for you to leave a review as many others have. In fact, I really appreciate those who are leaving reviews because you're leaving them about just in time for me to read one every single week. So I appreciate that. This one comes from a familiar person. I'm wondering, this if this is not Peter Schott, one of our previous guests, but it says uh, this is by Peter Agtech, which sounds like him. So Peter, let me know if that's you. Uh, it says, great show, excellent interviews, well produced. Tim does a great job putting everything together. Peter Agtech, thank you. And to all of you who have left a review, I really sincerely appreciate you helping get the word out about this show uh, so that everyone can have a vested interest and explore that vested interest in the future of agriculture. See you next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit aggrad.com, that's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Next week.